0: You are now listening to Carly's Couch. I'm Carly. And I'm Lex. In this podcast, we discuss a wide array of topics about life and how to live your best life, whatever that looks like for you. (laughs) Hope y'all enjoy. Hello, hello, hello.
1: Thanks for listening to Carly's Couch. I hope you're doing well. We're doing pretty good. Feeling good today.
0: Feeling good. Very excited. Um you have not, please leave us a review and share the podcast with somebody who you think it might bring some value to. We also have a number now where you can call and join us on the vouch. COVID friendly, of course. Well, physically distanced, of course, um, to be COVID friendly. So yeah, call us and drop us a line, a topic, a question. Let us know what you want us to talk about.
1: Yep. And we will play that on the show um, and respond to that. And today we have a very special guest for you. Um, I'm gonna let Carly introduce him.
0: Drum roll, please. So, today we have. She just did all of it so herself. Corny. All of it. All of it. Um, if I could reach the little button. She for asked thing. for a drum
1: roll and did the drum roll <laughs> and then went back to the announcement. Well, you
0: gotta have your own back out here. Right. So, um, today we have a very special guest, one of my greatest friends. He probably not hung up now. He's probably like, damn. <laughs> I'm nah, nah. <laughs> <I'm sorry.
1: laughs> he's probably like, dead I won't be on this nah, nah. <laughs> but it, it's just do. funny because I'm sorry I'm just like roasting Carly right now I'm so sorry
0: no no he's been roasting <laughs> me for like 10 years y'all good
1: <laughs> but that would have been so funny though I just in my head that's why I was like damn what if he's like you know what this is it for me today
0: <laughs> just like click <laughs> oh man Whew. okay so back to this intro um <laughs> Whenever we talk about having biggest fans of The Bouch, we always talk about Kiara's dad. So shout out to Mr. Williams and then Jay. I feel like <laughs> they're some of the only people who have heard every single episode and offer feedback and are still there at the end of episodes. And so today is just a cool full full circle moment to have Jay um, speaking in his area of expertise on the podcast. So Jason Quaynor is an educator and a mental performance consultant. His main focus is regarding self-talk and its benefits. He is currently getting his master's in science in sports psychology um, and will graduate in December of 2020. Quainer's thesis is entitled Dear Kobe, The Secret Mentor Effect and Its Influence on Motivation and Self-Talk. Currently living in Shenzhen, China, Jay is a dean of students for an international school. He is also the basketball coach for U11 co-ed, middle school boys, and high school boys. In the near future, Jason is looking to expand his scientific knowledge in in sports psychology and sports psychology acumen by pursuing a PhD in counseling psychology with with universities with a sports psychology program.
1: So basically, he know what he's talking about. (laughs) All of that to say that you can actually take what he has to say and do it. Um, unlike me and Carly, be like, you know what? Love yourself. Like, <laughs> do what you can do. So your boy Jay is going to give you some some research and some academia-based knowledge today. Um, and I'm glad you also mentioned that um, he's somebody that we do always mention at the end. Like, dang, he's probably the only person still listening, um, just because he does always have good feedback at the end of our shows and and, you know, is listening to all of them. So I take back what I said at the beginning because I'm sure you've listening. you know what it's like so you're ready <laughs> to be on this show today essentially you wasn't oh, hanging yeah. up you wasn't hanging up oh yeah so yeah. I, I appreciate your dedication no, no, no. and <laughs> we're excited to to talk no, to you I'm today uh, shout out to the
2: bestie hey. uh, definitely shout out to the bestie uh, we do this all the time we've been corny since who knows when 2007,
1: <laughs> 2007 is it yeah Ooh, now we've, we've been corny since 2007 <laughs> <laughs> that's y'all tagline
0: wow <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, afraid.
2: that's, that's it. All the park bench being corny. That was it. That
0: was it. <laughs> yeah, we've been discussing these. Um, before Carly had a couch, she had a park bench, and Jay and I would oh, discuss man. all these philosophical ideas on park benches out at OU. So, oh, that's cool. Yeah, we met freshman year of college, and just been best friends pretty much ever since. And so it's cool. Like I said, he's in Shenzhen, China, right now. Um, so it's like early as hell in the morning over there, and it's like you know late afternoon, early evening here. Um, as we talk about self talk. So. Um,
2: yeah,
0: yeah. I know that you're an undergraduate major And you can correct me But I'm going to give a little brief history That was not in your bio Just so we can talk about how you even got into Thank self-talk um, I th- believe your undergrad major was in journalism Or psychology Did I make that up?
2: You know what? You make me sound smarter than I already <laughs> am uh, It was English Oh, uh, okay I, I was an uh, English undergrad major uh, English writing, actually
0: Okay, so I knew Jay from, he was like working in the writing center, helping people write papers, helping people fix things, um, taking all of these philosophical classes. That's why I was like, yo, him and Lexi would have great philosophical conversations. Um, but then you're also a rapper um, and you do music. And so how did you get into self-talk? Do you want to talk a little bit about that journey through English and rapping and writing and being a wordsmith um, going into self-talk?
2: Yeah, of course. Uh, well, basically, the short answer is, shout out to my mama, uh, <laughs> but the long answer uh, goes back a lot further. I mean, uh, my mom taught me all this when I was young. I didn't know that they were, it was called mental skills training or MST. I was basically learning this from when I was a kid. I remember one of my fondest memories of being a kid was walking down the stairs of my mom and I's duplex room, um, and I just started talking to an empty room fully suited and booted, walking, pacing, talking to herself, talking out loud, uh, making eye contact with no one that was there. And I, I was like, Mom, who are you talking to? She's like, the crowd. I'm like, now look out, make sure no one's there. Look like my mom. I say, what crowd? She's like, the crowd I'm going to be talking to in two years. I'm like, I don't know what's going on here. I feel like my mom's crazy. I don't know. We used to joke that my mom was crazy. But now she just might be. And my mom then like opened up to me and talked about like, you know, how imagery works, how talking to yourself positively works, how, uh, knowing how to control yourself in different situations happens. And I'd be banned if my mom didn't actually speak to a crowd of, of like hundreds of people in two years. And she didn't have that booked up. She just did that afterwards. And so seeing my mom take that from just a dream and a vision, uh, in two years to actually be coming into fruition, it was uh, something really motivating for me. My mom uh, wrote two books. Uh mom was trying to say the gold mine, and then the other one, 24 karat gold. And both of them are spelled G O A L, not gold, but you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that was the first base of it. Um, of course, I've always been into music. Uh, Carly knows that I definitely have been huge into music because of keybox. There's no the way around it. Uh, I've been into some Tupac. I saw Tupac, and I really was taken with how he started to mold me as a young kid. And I wanted to do that, give that same feeling to somebody else. I thought that I would do that same feeling to music. So, I moved from there, and then I go to, uh, go to college, go to fast forward a little bit, went to college, university, English major, still making music, still rapping. I'm still trying to find the voice, Um but... It just wasn't cracking for me there. And so what I did after that, I went to Minnesota, McNally's Smith College of Music uh, for hip-hop studies. And while I was there, of course, uh, I've been working with the youth since I was a youth. Uh, so I was also mm-hmm. a youth program specialist at the Best Buy Teen Tech Center. So I was working there, uh, talking to students, you know, trying to juice them up, trying to make them feel like the dopeness that was inside of them. And that was kind of the first bit of the bug that got me, where I'm like, I need to be speaking to the youth, speaking to teens, speaking to young people, helping them see how they can get there, no matter what level they think that they are at, trying to get them to the level that they need to be. And then finally, I went to Atlanta to try to make some music happen. I say try, because I had not had to fail, because I could look back and I said I had not had to fail. Uh, and I was working with the youth still, and I knew at that moment that this is what I wanted to do. I just had to figure out how to do it. But I had a little bit of a detour. I'm here in Shenzhen. Of course, the reason why I'm in Shenzhen, China, is a very simple answer. I am broke. <laughs> and so uh, student loans got me. You know, mm-hmm. I owed, uh, let's just say, I could buy me a really, really, really decked out to the max Mercedes-Benz with the money that I owed. And I knew that I wouldn't be able to positively affect the youth without paying that off and without getting myself right and getting myself straight up. And that thing that was going to be really important was when I was sitting there speaking to some Chinese national students, trying to get them to believe in themselves more than just their grades and more than just the outcomes of tests and standardized, uh, I realized something really simple. I can tell them how great they are. I can tell them how good they are. I can even tell them objective facts. if they don't believe that on the inside, then there's nothing that I can do on the outside for them. And so I can't improve their performance unless they talk to themselves positively or unless they feel themselves in a positive light. And so that started me down my path of sports psychology. Uh, I am a mental performance consultant right now, as well as a dean. I'm working on helping people who self-talk, talking to themselves positively or neutrally, understanding how the negativity bias works. And I'm looking forward to doing more than that in the future.
0: Oh, that's awesome. Um, So what is self-talk? Like, I know, like, in my head, I'm like, okay, when I talk to myself, but how would you define, like, what is self-talk?
2: Truthfully, I define self-talk as something else uh, for people um, because a lot of people say, well, yeah, I talk to myself all the time. And I say, yeah, but self-talk helps you with your performance because we have things that are called inner monologues all the time, right? Mm -hmm. And these things are, they're inner monologues in yourself. You're not even really talking to yourself. You're, You're directing yourself. You're doing these things. But there are, moments throughout your entire day where you are actually talking to yourself. Your subconscious is talking to your conscious self or the other way around. And truthfully, that right there is self-talk. And self-talk can come in different ways. It can be negative, it can be neutral, or it can be positive. Now, of course, in the sense of negative, there's catastrophizing. That's an example of being negative. In neutral, there's instructional. Like, I'm putting on my shoes. Make sure you tire them tight. All right, cool. But then there's also positive, which is motivational, can be too. Those are some examples, some simple examples of the style of self-talk. People try to subdivide them, make subcategories, which is really helpful. But as long as you know that when you are talking to yourself back and forth, you're conscious or subconscious, you're usually doing it in a positive, neutral, or negative way.
0: Thank you. That's helpful. Um, you have mentioned whenever you're we planning the episode that you wanted to take us through some activities, but they were top secret and you wouldn't tell me what they were. So do you want to lead us through one or both of those right now?
2: Yeah, I'll take you through one of them right now because I want to do this one through the full thing. Uh, I want to give you a second. If you don't have it, get some pen and paper for
0: me. Okay, ready.
2: All right, perfect. So throughout this entire podcast episode, what I want you to do is either in real time write down things that you say when you're talking to yourself, see if you can catch yourself saying things, whether it be positive, neutral, or negative, see so if you can write those things down. And then we'll do that one at the end, right? Because we want to um, have one that we can focus on at the end. And so people need to start being in control and having intention and being purposeful with their self-talk so they can actually... Maneuver and change it because it's really important to see that. Because your neurological pathways, and I, I Carly, I've been talking about this for a little bit. Your neurological pathways are made in, in different sizes, if you know. You can kind of see your neurological pathways as either something that's like a huge interstate highway or a country road. Mm-hmm. That'll help you see it because if it's a huge three lane highway, four lane highway. That means you can down there. And those neurological pathways are easy to get to. But for some people, some of the country roads, that positive set it might be about a country road and going back and forth and trying to go those windy ways. It's a lot like, more difficult to access that uh, windy road rather than your huge three-lane, four-lane pathway. And so the way to do that is start being intentional about it and catching yourself before you're going down that way. Okay. So-, so the way to actually do it Go
1: ahead. Well, I wanted to take a second to stop And um, reiterate for the activity For the listeners Because we can't really do that Because I can't write down my thoughts And listen to you talk But I'm, I want to reiterate it for the listeners So to make sure we that I say it correctly So for the listeners right now Like during the rest of this episode um, Make a column for positive, neutral, negative And you want them to write the actual thought down So kind of try to jot that down Or maybe even if you just tally it If you can catch it Um, that's what I was going to try to do, but also I'm not going to, I want to listen to what you're saying for right now. Um, but do that activity. And I guess at the end, you'll let us know what we can gain from that data.
2: Definitely. Okay. So we'll actually do one for you two right now. I'll give you like about 20 seconds. It's totally fine. And we'll still address it at the end. Okay. Uh, Think about a moment where you failed and there's nothing wrong with failure. We're going to talk about failure at the end, but there's nothing wrong with failure. So think of a moment either that you failed at something. It doesn't make you a failure. It's something that you failed at. Okay. So think about 20 seconds about that. Write the moment down, and then we'll address it at the end. Okay. And the one that we got going right now is a very simple one. I'll give you a little bit of background and a little bit of education to it, and then we're going to go into the application side of it. So a lot of people do not recognize that our brain has hundreds of thousands of evolution behind it. People might kind of passively know that, but they don't know what that means for them. Basically, what that actually is, is that our brains were first wired to survive and procreate. Mm-hmm. We all agree upon that. But the problem is, is that that brain never went away. It's just material was, was piled on after that. And so that makes, you know, your prefrontal cortex comes away later in the evolutionary development, if you will. And so the thing is, is that, now that we've worked ourselves out of the food chain, which is a good which is good news, the bad news is we worked ourselves out of the food chain. And so we have equipment in us that is trying to assess dangers like we're still being hunted by tigers, like we're still being hunted down by other things that might kill us. But we're treating the same the same threat levels to, oh, that person doesn't like me, as into to a tiger is hunting me and I need to make sure that I'm staying alive. Or I need to hunt and gather these things or else I won't survive. We're treating that with the same level because your brain doesn't know the difference. Mm-hmm. And so those hormones, those chemicals that are going off in your brain are responding to the same level of danger. And so it doesn't know the difference. And so training your brain is, is the ability to do that. Now, there's two people that are within you. There are There is the person that has the ambitions, the, the goals, and the lofty ideas that you have for yourself that aren't out of reach. It's just not in front of you yet. And then there's a person that is your sensibility, the person that wants to keep you alive, and there's a person that was at 300,000 years in the make, if you will. Now, that person at 300,000 years in the making wants to keep you alive, wants to keep you safe, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's just knowing that they're only trying to hold you back at time. And if we picture that as basically on old cars in the 80s, they used to put this thing called a governor on the car. I don't know if do y'all know what a governor is. Mm-mm. So a governor basically is you put it on, you put it on the car. And even though that car has the capacity to go 150, 170 miles an hour,
0: oh, yeah, yeah. you
2: put a governor on it. It might not be able to, it might not even be able to get to 100 miles, 120 miles an out. And so that governor is your sensibility. It's capping you off. It's trying to keep you from getting to the, your 160, 180 mile state. And so. We want to do something to help us get there. Now, this activity is very simple, but you want to be very intentional and very purposeful about it. The way that you can do this is by naming your governor. Now, I don't mind the governor. Like, whenever I wake up in the morning at 4.30, I'm tired, so I have to either go work out, I have to go for a run, I have to do something, because I like being up early, because it makes me feel like I'm stealing time, and I'm getting a little bit ahead of the day. Mm-hmm. But the moment I wake up, the governor tells me, go back to sleep. You're tired. You don't want to be up right now. It's easy to go back to sleep. You'll like, be more rested or something like that. You can hear the governor saying that. But when you detach yourself from those sensibilities and then put it out there and you can see, oh, the governor wants me to lose today. The governor wants you to stay in bed. The governor doesn't want me in shape. I can understand that the governor wants me to be rested and to, to get sleep. But what I'm going to do is get up on the count of three, Put on these shoes and defeat the government because every day I say I'm going to defeat the government. Now, let's do that for you two and everyone out there for the podcast and all the listeners. What are you going to name your government? When you put a name, when you put a name okay. to it, you're able to actually then separate yourself from it. Okay. So thinking of a name that you can put to that person, it can be Sally, it can be Karen, you can, you can call it Kyle, you can just call it whoever you want to. But you want to make that an adversary at times. And sometimes just a person that's giving you information. But who is that person? What do you want that name to be? What are those names for you?
1: Oh, uh, I wrote down Peter.
2: <laughs> Peter. Shout out to Peter. I like that. Uh, I, didn't even, I didn't even see that coming.
0: <laughs> Which I thought I was going to say. Flash on. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> um, mine is... El go- gobernador? Because it sounds kinda like a um like a supervillain. Because I feel like if I'm gonna defeat somebody, it's gonna be like a supervillain.
2: Okay. Now <laughs> from this moment forward, you can start identifying any of those negative or negative thoughts or those sensibilities whenever you want to do something that is actually helping you move towards your goals. Anything that is talking to you like, oh well what if I'm not good enough? or oh what if I fail at this? That is your moment to say, Peter, I hear you. But the next step is then to accept Peter stop and when you usually accept things you're supposed to accept things like you're accepting the gift because we all have to remember that what they're doing is giving you information about yourself that mm-hmm. is all they're doing and you're going to accept that like a gift you're going to say thank you you usually say thank you when you're getting the gift because so when you get information or someone hands you something that's important you look at it and say thank you and you take that information and you do what you will with it rather than be ruled by that information And so that's your first step that you can do to help you separate yourself from those sensibilities and have a little bit more control over it.
1: I like that. That makes me think of three things. One, it makes me think about the image, like from cartoons and of art, sometimes the devil on one shoulder and the angel on the other shoulder. And so kind of everybody knowing, you know, that there's going to be something else inside you that's always trying to get you to do, you know, that thing that you know you shouldn't do. So that was one thing I thought about. Another thing that that reminded me of, and, and it's interesting, I guess, that these are all, you know, archetypical things or, you know, thematic things in the history of probably, I guess, you know, human being, but the idea of the two wolves and that the one you feed is the one that um, will win against the other because in each of us there's always, you know, that kind of self-doubt and that maybe insecure, you know, coming from scarcity, whatever mindset, as well as the one that you said, where, you know, you're trying to, you know, you see yourself in a different space and your potential where you can be. And that what this does is my third point where we've talked about, you know, separating and taking yourself outside of your thoughts and allowing yourself to recognize which one this is, positive, neutral, negative, negative kind of taking that moment and then choosing how you respond to that. And so I like the idea of responding to it calmly, responding to it as a gift, because you're also not making it too serious either. You're not like dwelling in it being negative, um, but you're just kind of saying like, okay, I see that. And now I guess you're going to get into like what else you do with those steps. But I just thought it was interesting that, you know, we can hear this type of, um you know, this this type of thing in different ways, but the way that you can also break it down to science and, you know, what you can really do with that is a very tactical way of dealing with it. I, I like that.
2: Yeah, I really dig how you put, the, put that in two different ways. I didn't even think about those two. But the, All right, now the put my name on, are, on the um, PhD, please, Jay. Put
1: my name on the PhD. Come on. <laughs> Send that on to me. Thank you. Come yeah, on. let me Call me when you need help with your homework, bro. <laughs> I got you.
2: Yeah, I, hey, I'm, I'm calling you tomorrow. What are you talking about? I got a lip
1: review already. Oh, <laughs> gosh. Look, <laughs> put me in the Biblio. Oh, yeah. You already know.
2: It's like, of uh, course, like, thank you. She like, said Right. Quote oh, me. <laughs> <laughs> <So funny.
1: laughs> Annotated bibliography. Thank you. Okay. Um, but yeah, no, I okay. like the way you put that, um, you know, as like an actual thing to do. And that makes it a lot easier And when you name it something else to realize like, you do have a choice, you know, and then, these thoughts don't have to be the ones you rock with. So what do you do next?
2: So what you do next after you accept it and realize the, the biggest thing is that this fear, all of this is information. And you can welcome information, but you will not let it rule you. It's kind of like uh, another thing that I say. If you imagine that you have a bank of confidence, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And just like I wouldn't let or anybody, I wouldn't give anybody my ATM card. I wouldn't give anybody my debit card. Would y'all like, give anybody you y'all debit cards like that? So you just like so you the Exactly. No. Right. I and mean, what, what could they do? What, what could they do with that?
1: Well, you' talking about like a stranger or like your friends.
2: So, would you give just anybody? I would probably say just anybody mm-hmm. in your ATM card. I'm gonna get it right
1: through. Yeah, absolutely not. Would you give any assistance? Absolutely not. Because why? Because you don't want them to have because access. Why? To your stuff.
2: Exactly. And so you have the same confidence bank, right? And you have the card yourself. Let's let's figure that right now. To the confidence bank, you have your card. You also have your pen. Why would you give anybody else your card and your pen to withdraw from your confidence bank? Mm. You would not do that. Mm -hmm. So with that same thought, you're not going to allow your sensibilities or Peter... To withdraw from your confidence thing, and the way that you're going to do that is by starting to acknowledge it. Now, the next step is also identifying scripts. We all have scripts. There's no way around it because our brain is built to make shortcuts. If you hear, if you're in if you're in your mm-hmm. room and then you hear a beeping noise, like I would hear a beeping noise soon, that so I would probably assume that oh, that means my laundry's done. Your brain makes shortcuts, right? Now, your brain makes shortcuts even on other things when you're trying to be at a higher level of performance. It tries to make shortcuts of, oh, I can do this, but I can't do that. So it goes through those automatic scripts. Now, what you have to then do is start identifying your script. Now, you can go through something that's very simple, but it's really difficult to alter because we're talking going back to those neurological pathways. I'm trying to go down the three-lane highway at 80 miles an hour rather than... 20 miles an hour on the exact dirt road. And so the way that we do it is identify our script. So the thing that we want to look at is when you meet this person, Peter, or the governor, when you meet the governor, they're going to say, go back to sleep. And that is the cue. Whenever you get a cue, what you're going to do is do something else based on that cue. Instead of going back to, oh, I'll just go back to sleep, we need to alter the cue. We need our if-then quaint The if-then plan is very simple, but it just has to be executed. If I hear the governor tell me go back to sleep, then I will fill in the blank. And the fill in the blank for me is identify the governor, say, Governor, I give you, you want me to go back to sleep because I am (laughs) because I actually am tired. I need like ten hours of sleep. I don't get ten hours of sleep, but I need like ten hours of sleep. And then I say, but what I want to do right now to stay in shape because one of my goals is to stay in shape and to be able to stay healthy into my later years in life. I want to be able to dunk until I'm 40. That's just the thing of mine. I want to be able to dunk. I want to be able to hit the rim. I want to be able to all the young people to look at me and be like, oh, man, he's so cool. <laughs> in order to do that, wake up. I need to put on these shoes. I need to hit this gym. So if you'll excuse me, I got some work to get to. And so instead of letting the governor or whatever, whatever you want to call that person automatically rule into that same neurological pathway that's a three-lane highway, you have to go on that road less traveled. And that road less traveled is not fun. And that's how it works.
0: I have a question. So for these neural pathways, the highways and the country roads, um, is they're that way because of how often we've traveled down them? So like thinking about if we've always done something or always thought a certain way negatively or whatever, since we were little then whenever we get older, those are like the highways?
2: Yes, we we turn those things into highways usually subconsciously because each time we don't think about what we do. most of the time. We're not like, I'm doing this, I'm picking up this phone because I want to pick up this phone. No, you're automatically thinking, I'm picking up this phone, I need to call. And you're not slowing down to be intentional and think about, I'm picking up the phone to call this person because I want to call this person to tell them that I love them. No, you're just doing that because you're automatically going through your script. We automatically do these things and then these things become second nature if you usually call them that. And so the, lo- the road less traveled is usually less traveled and it's really hard to get to because we usually don't go that based on different cues that we have in our life. And when we're met with these cues, we usually go through the same way, which makes it easier to get to because our brain is trying to design these shortcuts and design these ways to get to that desired outcome and the desired result quicker. If we had to intentionally think about every single thing that we did whether it be breathing, walking, chewing gum, even that simple, or speaking, learning, and all these things, it will be really hard for us to function. And so our brain wants to make these different kinds of shortcuts. And so we need to take control a little bit over that. Just 1% changes will make compoundingly amazing results
0: hmm And with that, are we able to completely rewrite these neural pathways? I know you and I talk about brain, like neuroplasticity often and the brain and things like that, because we're all nerds, but is it possible to completely rewrite these pathways?
2: Yes, it, 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 it's possible, but <laughs> I always put a buzz in there. It. It's difficult. It's hard. I don't want to make it sound like, oh yeah, if you just, do, like uh, anyone that says, if you just, I usually like fall back a little bit because I'm like, mm-hmm. it's never if you just. Anything that you want in life is going to be a challenge, it's going to be work, and at times it will be hard. But, if you want that, you can do it. You just have to take control. It's very possible. You can change your brain chemistry. The moment I learn Carly's name, my brain has to change, right? My brain's making different neurological changes. Neurons are detaching and reattaching to different places that I'm going to try and remember Carly's name. <clears throat> so my brain actually changes in that very sense. And so, if then you are actually taking your mind from that certain three-lane neurological pathway and then starting to travel on that country road, that country road through intention will then turn into that three-lane highway. And so, you can definitely change your neurological pathways, number one, and your brain chemistry if you want to as well. It's all these small, small, infinitesimal shifts.
1: It's practice, essentially. You mm-hmm. I mean... Because the yeah, yeah. two things that you just said are that, you know, our body develops these mechanisms. And, like, another example, for example, would be like that highway being created might have been when you were five years old and you started crying to your mom, and your mom said, Stop crying, or you got your feelings hurt. And so now that starts that path of, Oh, to stay safe, to keep my mom's love, to, you know, whatever. I shouldn't be showing that much emotion or I shouldn't be crying or you learn and tell yourself that that's a bad thing. And so from then on, you make decisions that are more closed off or less vulnerable, et cetera. And so... To break that apart is what when we talk about like therapy and mindfulness and all that stuff is to understand those narratives. Right. That we've been telling ourselves just because of maybe one little thing that happened. Um, And I'm saying that's little because then there's those huge big things that happen to some people and, you know, really changes how they feel about everything as well. Um, And so those things can take different levels of work. But with what you said, as far as naming those thoughts or paying attention to the thoughts, naming the thoughts, accepting when you hear that. But I also noticed that you said then you're putting more importance and you're actually stating, which I think is important, what you do want and what is valuable to you. Because I think a lot of times we focus way too much on what's those negative thoughts, but we don't actually talk about self-talk of those thoughts of like what is important and like stating what is of value to you. Not necessarily positive talk either because I don't think what you said is the same thing as waking up every morning and being like, I'm beautiful, I'm beautiful, I'm beautiful. And so I think this is a little bit different and I think it is a little more tactical because it's practice. You're practicing saying, no, actually this is what's important and doing that thing. And then the more you do that, now you're not really afraid of whatever that other thing is anymore or, you know, that's not necessarily an obstacle anymore Um And when we've talked about our own stories and i've talked about how all of a sudden I like became a more of a morning person It kind of was that like I just was like, oh I ha- This is who I have to be and then I just was doing it and then it just happens now so I think that all of it is very much like it makes sense. It doesn't really sound as frou-frou when you say it in this way. Um, And I hope everybody's kind of following along and understanding, like, these examples.
2: Yeah, I hope I'm breaking it down, uh, simple enough, because the thing is is that with uh, sports psychology or mental performance, the thing is that you want to take these very like, hard terms that, like, a lot of neuroscientists are using, uh, and makes them a lot more easily digestible because a lot of people think that this is like, either people think it's like some, like you said, proofy type of thing or some type of weird magic, but it's actually not. It's just you putting the effort into changing yourself slightly. I want people to understand it. It's kind of like whenever you are invest- being an investor in the stock market. Now, you might invest in Facebook, let's say. I mean, uh, let me pick another one. I don't want to talk about Facebook <laughs> right now. Nike, there we go. But then you're invest in, uh, investing in Nike, right? And mm-hmm. then you invest in Nike, you see, you see it, and you're like, cool, it's, it's $100 uh, per share. I bought a $100 share. And you look the next day, it went down to 99 And you're like, well, that, that wasn't working. So you're like, no, no, no. Over time,
1: mm-hmm. that
2: thing will go up only 8%. And everyone's like, well, now it's only $108. I'm like, yeah, but you don't understand how that's going to work. with compounding interest, mm-hmm. over time, you will be changing this. And so it's not going to be overnight success. I want, I want to make this clear right now. Now, while you will have your brain chemistry change over time, you're not going to be able to like, just like be able to go like, oh yeah, I'm changing right now. That's not what's going to happen. It's going to be compounded over time. If you make a 1% difference in your life, you know how that's going to compound over time. It's not going to be anything where you're going to step back and be like, and now I'm amazing. No, you're still going to do it. It's going to still take all, all, day, all that work all the time.
1: I have a have question for you
2: all the time. Yeah.
1: How do you combat, you know, what if somebody's like, okay, you know, today I'm extra aware. Are the people even right now listening extra aware of my thoughts and what I'm saying to myself, how do you do that and not feel overwhelmed? And I was like, oh man, I'm Mr. Governing all day. And you know, D, would you say that? Okay. That's a good thing. Would you say that you focus on, you know, one or two things or how do you choose those things or, You know, there's so many thoughts, like at every moment we're switching to a different thought. And so which ones do you take the time to stop and work on?
2: Mm. That's an awesome question, Uh, because I really do think that focusing on cues is important. And I do think that getting overwhelmed is a bigger thing, too, because everyone feels like they need to change everything a a lot. And I think that I want to say this. I mean, other people can do way more power than I can. And that's okay. But I am a few less obsessed type of person. I focus on one, the one or two things that I want to change, and I go from there. And I do know that if I change those one or two things, it goes from, it, it, it really grows. So let's just say this year I was focusing on doing a handstand. Uh, Carly knows that. Mm-hmm. And then also I've been focusing on paying down my student loan debt. There's a whole lot of other things that I would like to do. Uh, I've been trying to learn from Japanese. I, I shouldn't say trying. I'm learning Japanese, uh, and I'm also pushing up my Spanish, but that is not my main focus. My main focus is paying off the student loan debt, and my main focus is getting the tan stand down. And so that is where I hone in the most. And I, and I really like to do this uh, where with self-talk, it's framing yourself or framing things of uh, yourself for the situation before your event. So before I'm getting this money um, on payday, I'm like, okay, this is what I'm going to do with it, and this is how it's going to happen i manage managing myself during the event because I don't like hitting that K button. I really don't. Hitting the payment button is one of the worst things I hate about paying bills, hitting that K button and then really seeing that money go away. And so managing myself during the event, saying, okay, you're getting ready to hit this pay button, and they're about to take all your money again because these are the decisions that we made whenever we decided to go to college and get that university degree and do all this, and it's fine, Right. But then you also want to give yourself perspective after the event, right? And so you, you either made that payment or you're doing that handstand. When I did the handstand for my handstand work, probably takes about 30 minutes. I debrief uh, very quickly, maybe about 10 minutes. I write down some thoughts and say, that's what happened. Now, there's a whole lot of other things that are happening throughout the day. And I can't focus on all of those cues. If I focus on all of those cues and I'm basically focusing on none of those cues, I want to focus on a uh, few things that I want to get done intentionally and then the rest I want to bring my best self to them I'd rather say that than actually saying focus on everything I'm a very do rest and kind of person
0: yeah I like that um and then you mentioned whenever we were talking about this before framing it out which I love the more tactical approach because whenever I was thinking through the episode it was super frou-frou so this is very helpful um you said dealing with the reality of the mind and I want to I want you to yeah. elaborate on that
2: uh I, am, I like to figure myself, and I, a lot of people say I'm positive. I do not feel like I'm positive. I do feel like I'm neutral, but I do not feel like I'm positive. Uh, I believe uh you're saying earlier, talking about uh, getting things a little bit more functional in a little different way. So I want to jump into something that you were talking about lightly, which is like seeing negative, seeing negativity and negative thoughts. Uh, the, re- the reality of your mind is that it is built to see negative things didn't feel to see negative aspects of life. And that's just because of how we need to survive. Our sensibilities are trying to keep us alive, and so that's why we still need to keep them around. We can't kick the governor out of our head and say, don't ever come back. We can't do that, because then we would not survive. That that thing within us to get better, whether it be, whether it be that dopamine or that cortisol that keeps you aware in, in moments that you are either in high-stress situations or moments that are unfamiliar, you need those things. But Whenever you're not in high-stress situations and it just looks like someone might be talking about you or it might just be you're not sure if you're good enough for this job or should you apply for this job, it's the same feeling. And so you're, the reality of the mind is you're going to have these things because your brain is wired for this and your brain is made for this. But now this is where you take control. And this is what this is what self-talk does to you. Uh, what I will say is there's this thing called the negativity bias. And I think that y'all talked about it before and like truth must be 30 episodes ago, right? Y'all, must have t- y'all talked about the negativity bias slightly. I know that. I just don't remember the episode.
1: Look, we don't either. But <laughs> I, I do know about negativity bias. Uh,
2: okay. Uh, so I was listening to y'all talk about the negativity bias. And I was just jumping up and down, screaming, yes, this is, this is how you do it. Uh, this is what you talk about. Because our brains are wired towards negativity. Now, when your brain's wired towards negativity, that means that you have to consciously shift your brain from the negative and then also recognize the positive. Now, researchers and scientists have come up with the basic uh, positivity to neg- uh, negative ratio. And this is the reason why I'm asking the people at home. I'm actually kind of revealing a little bit of my trick, is for people to kind of recognize how many positive thoughts you have to how many negative thoughts you have. The negativity bias is going to be heavy. You're going to notice that you're noticing a lot more negative things than the positive. So, what you need to do is consciously start counting the positive things. If you want to be neutral, you'll need four count them probably about four positive instances to one negative instance to be neutral. To be any type of positive, you will need at least five at least five positive instances to one negative instance, and that is going to take very intentional and purposeful spotting cues, spotting different results and spotting different performances and processes that make that are positive, as opposed to just letting passively these negative influences come in to you.
1: Hmm. That reminds me of something my parents used to make us do as kids. Like, I don't remember where they saw this, but all of a sudden it'd be like if we said something negative to each other or about one of my brother's then they would make us say two positive things. And so it was like, man, and it, it was never like your heart was never in it. And then we always say the exact same things every time, but it was just like, all right, it kind of put into you and has put into me. And something that I talk about, like with my relationships and, and different people is um, deposits and withdrawals and just making sure like you, you do think about how much you deposit versus try to withdraw out of it. And so it does make sense to be more aware of, like what that balance looks like and now, you know, paying more attention to trying to catch the positive. Cause I think kind of partly what you're saying too is that you just might not even think to write the positive down. Cause I think we're more trained just to like hone in on the negative sometimes as well. Um, so just to make sure you, you look for that, maybe like looking for more of, Oh yeah, that was a positive thought. Um, and acknowledging it as well. Um, instead of just honing in on the, the negative
2: yeah, definitely. Because so honing in on the negative is, is huge because that's in our threat system. That uh, That's in what, uh, the, everything that we want to make happen for us. Because, you know, we, we identify threats negatively. We don't identify threats like, oh, this, this thing's going to be great for me. No, like you, you usually find it as something that's dangerous to you. And so what I definitely will say is this. Um, I talked to my students about this. I'm not going to call them kids on here just in case they hear this. <laughs> uh, so I talked to my students, uh, very simply in the the matter of if you you put your amygdala and your emotional response system as your watchdog, your guard dog, right? Uh, And you need to recognize that that is where a lot of where the governor lives, where Peter lives, and all of them that's where they live, right? Uh, That's where they come out. But you want to access your prefrontal cortex or your PFC, which is the wise hours. And so you always need to recognize who actually acted at that time? The prefrontal cortex, which is probably you and your and your ambitions and your goals that you want, or was it the guard dog? Was it the watchdog? Was it the governor that was coming out? Who was that that was actually doing that? Because usually your emotional responses, and of course, I do differentiate between mood and emotion. Uh, I can talk about that if you'd like. But uh, we I differentiate between mood and response. But your emotional response is usually your guard dog, season. because that usually chops up, pops out first, because that is like your knee jerk. Uh, assessment of a stimuli from the outside usually? Or is it did you give it time, did you think about it were you using your Y out your pre cortex?
1: Mm-hmm. That makes sense to me too. And an example I just thought of is um, if somebody gives you a compliment and your guard dog might be you saying, oh yeah, but it was a lot, you know, the whole team put in or like, you know, kind of saying something because you're trying to guard your walls that are protected um, and your own kind of security. And so does that make sense? Is that an, an example of
2: that. Well, yeah. What I definitely say is, yeah, that's something close to it because your natural response to that is not probably through your prefrontal cortex. I mean, still went through the prefrontal cortex because your knee jerk response was, oh, well, you know, it wasn't really me, and that's actually stopping you Some sometimes when someone says, oh, that was a good job when y'all did that on that um, one episode. I really like when you did this. I like, well, we weren't really thinking or we were just trying to slap that together. you mm-hmm. just pause, let like your brief on the cortex have it, and say, thank you. We worked, we worked really hard on that and we really wanted to make an impact for that. And, you did, and then that's it. Because that's one thing that, I, that happened to me when I first started performing uh, music live. Everyone was like, oh, yeah, you did really well up there. I'm like, really? Because I felt like mm-hmm. whenever I was up there, I'm like, no, no, no. no. They, were paying, <laughs> they were paying their compliment." They liked what I did. So they Sometimes people were even really directed, like, I really liked whenever you made this motion on stage. It really made me feel like this. I'm like, well, I just made that up. They don't want to hear that part. And you don't need to hear that part either. Mm-hmm. So that's one of those things that you have to slow down and think a little bit slower. You can think back because, of course, like that emotional response hits you, but then also think slowly and say, oh, wait a minute. This is how I really need to think about the situation.
1: Yeah, it's all retraining yourself.
2: Yeah. And it's not fun. I'm not not going (laughs) to lie to you. You're not going to be like, oh, this is the greatest time ever. It's not. (laughs) I'm just saying, like, it's it's not. Sometimes you'll have to see your failure and just say, okay, I failed at that. Mm -hmm. And that Mm sucks. And then that's whenever the governor is going to come out and you have to say, well, thank you for that information. But there were things that I did in there that were actually good. There were things I did in there that that can actually help refine my process. Don't let the failure take you over. Uh, you can see failure as like just like a part of the process that happens or you can see failure at the end whichever you want to do is what you will tell yourself and that will actually affect you know lot pathways as well